Jesus said to the disciples, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who had just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to them, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, should say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. Increase our faith. That's what the disciples ask Jesus. And out of all the requests in the Bible, I feel like this is one I can finally understand. We all struggle with doubt, don't we? Wonder if our faith is adequate. There are times when it feels like our faith is so small and so fragile or even gone entirely. Just this week, one of the college students in our church asked me if I ever have doubts, if I wonder if God really exists. And I told them, of of course I do. Who wouldn't want more faith? Now, when I was in seminary, the person who taught us what Lutherans believe and, and how Lutherans think was a professor named Dr. Wangert. Doesn't he just sound like somebody who was meant to teach theology? Dr. Wangert. And one of the things he was known for, out of many, was that whenever someone asked a question in class, he would look at them and say, why do you ask that question? And it was so annoying. But it was also brilliant because he wasn't just buying himself some time to think, although that was part of it. It was also a way of encouraging us to look inward. Why are we asking this question? What's at stake for us? Why do we care about this? Why is it important to us? What's going on inside of us that creates this question? See, that's what we need to ask the disciples this morning. Why are they asking Jesus for more faith? Why? It wasn't just because we all want more faith. It's also because they were panicking and feeling overwhelmed. I mean, you heard what Jesus had said to them, right? He said that if they 
were stumbling blocks to other people. If they caused other people problems, put any obstacles in their path, did things that hurt others or damaged their faith, then it would be better for the disciples to be thrown into the ocean with a giant stone around their neck. Yikes. I wonder why we don't read that at weddings. I don't know. And then he told them that if they wanted to be his followers, it was their job to forgive people, to forgive freely without any condition or strings attached over and over and over again. I got to tell you, if Jesus said those things to me, I'd be asking for more faith too. And when they ask, Jesus says that if they had faith just the size of a mustard seed, they'd be able to tell mulberry trees, whatever those are, to jump out of the ground, and it would happen. Now, for most of history, these words about faith and mustard seeds and these mysterious mulberry trees that I've never heard of have been read and explained in a way that makes people feel guilty and inadequate, condemned. And when we hear them, we're kind of tempted to hang our heads, aren't we? Deep down, we fear that we deserve to be scolded. After all, our faith isn't that big and doesn't feel that strong. And to my knowledge, none of us have ever commanded a mulberry tree to jump out of the ground and then watch it obey. So it's easy, maybe even natural, to conclude that our faith is small, weak, something to be embarrassed about. But I'd like to channel Dr. Wangert one more time and ask, why do we read it this way? So many of us have been taught that one of the primary purposes of religion is to make us feel guilty, to make us feel inferior, inadequate, bad about ourselves, that the Bible is there to condemn us, that God is in the business of guilt because God is angry and to be feared, just looking for a reason to condemn and punish. And all of that, if we believe it, affects the way we understand and think about God, and it impacts the way we read the Bible, too. A pastor named Kimberly Bracken Long said, when we read this passage, some people bring the scars of a Bible that has been misused against them. Others have just always assumed Christianity is all about guilt, and these perceptions stand as barriers between them and a God who loves them. So this morning, let's stop for a minute and think about what role guilt should play in our lives and in our faith. Because there are different kinds of guilt, right? And it leads to different places. There's a a healthy guilt that comes from feeling convicted about the wrong we've done, and that leads us to Jesus, where we find forgiveness and wholeness, repentance and the desire to live differently. 
This is the kind of guilt that serves a good purpose because it leads us to healing and reconciliation and something better. But there's also an unhealthy guilt that is just all about making us feel bad, that keeps us stuck in the past, that gives us a sense of hopelessness without any remedy, the kind of guilt that makes us constantly beat up on ourselves, that destroys our self-esteem and self-worth, that leads us to a feeling of despair and tells us that we are irreparably broken. This is the kind of guilt that feeds on fear and serves no good purpose because it only leads somewhere worse. And too often the church, by which I mean the church, not just Emmanuel, but the church, has harmed people by using guilt like a weapon. And I know this is true because members of our church have told me so. Some of you joke about being in recovery from places like that, but I know it's not just a joke. The church has used not the good kind of guilt that leads to change a new life, but sometimes the bad kind of guilt that leads to despair. And, and when that happens, when someone's self-esteem is destroyed and their sense of self-worth is taken away, when they're made to just feel bad about themselves, they are easy prey for the things in this world that want to harm us. Any religious tradition that uses guilt as a primary motivator, that wields guilt in order to control people or keep them down, that embraces unhealthy guilt that leads to despair, is not of God. It needs to repent and seek forgiveness and make reparations. Now, in our reading this morning, Jesus said, when you've done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. And these are hard words. We know they're the product of a culture where slavery was very different, not okay, not good, but different from how it was practiced in America. And these, these words are made harder by the fact that scholars have difficulty translating them well. But they are not meant to teach that God doesn't care about your good actions. And they are certainly not meant to proclaim that you are worthless. And anyone who's made you feel that way, any religious tradition that has told you so, is wrong. You are not some sort of slave without any value or dignity. And any person who says otherwise is wrong. They're wrong. And they do not speak for God because God has proclaimed that you are a beloved child of God. That you are made in God's image. You are valued and loved by God so much that God was willing to come to this broken earth so much so that God was willing to do whatever it takes, including die, for you to know that you're loved, 
Through Jesus, God offers you grace and forgiveness, new life and healing, and transforms whatever guilt you've been lugging around into something new, something better and beautiful, something full of potential and possibility and hope. So I say, let us embrace the hope that drives us to the forgiving and redemptive love of God in Jesus. And though it may sometimes be hard and take time, and yes, require professional help, let us reject the useless guilt that only hurts us and keeps us stuck and holds us captive. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us this morning. that when it comes to faith, it's not about how much you have or how impressive your faith is. It's about what you choose to do with that faith. What that faith is for. Jesus says we're meant to use our faith in order to make sure we're not a stumbling block to others, especially the poor, the marginalized, children, those who in the Gospel of Luke are referred to as little ones. He tells us we're meant to use our faith to forgive others, to forgive them over and over without condition or agenda. And if that sounds hard, it is. It's impossible to do it by ourselves. But the good news is that Jesus says when it comes to faith, God only needs the tiniest amount. I picture Jesus holding up his fingers as he talks to the disciples, telling them not with judgment or condemnation, but with love and encouragement, guys, it only takes this much. We know from Jesus' teachings that in the first century, the mustard seed was considered the smallest seed in the world. And so Jesus is telling us that just the tiniest amount of faith, just the smallest amount, just the tiniest seed of faith is enough for God to use. Yes, our faith may often feel small, but it's enough for God to work with. Enough for God to work through. Enough to sustain us. We have enough faith right now to do big things. To dream big and be bold. We have enough faith to do what God is calling us to do. Enough faith to be who God is calling us to be as individuals and as a church. And if we can let go of our unhealthy guilt our twisted and unhealthy images of God, we will find ourselves free to simply live our faith, not from a place of fear or guilt, not because we need attention or praise, but rather from a sense of quiet confidence and joy that comes from doing our Savior's work. So may we trust that the faith God has given us is enough. May we let go of all the unhealthy guilt we are carrying around. May we forgive over and over. And 
when we encounter annoying people who are asking us too many questions, may we remember Dr. Wangert. Amen. <laughs>